now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling Rockabilly Track Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV, now entering through the forbidden door. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Hey, this is Christian, and you're listening to The Amazing Nerd Show, and I'm guessing you're wondering where Damon is. Well, don't fret. Damon is a part of this week's episode. However, we've run into several technical issues and scheduling issues for this week, which has, of course, affected the episode and our Patreon releases. But it's still not a week without The Amazing Nerd Show. So we still got to record some of the show this week together, and the rest I will be taking care of myself. So on this week's podcast, me and Damon are talking the second episode of Secret Invasion, and I'll be going over the latest news in nerdum along with video games and we're giving you our thoughts on AEW's Forbidden Door. And if today's episode isn't enough for you, don't forget you can get even more amazing nerd show content on Patreon by subscribing to our $5 tier. Doing so, you'll gain access to our best and worst of the week show. Though if you'd like even more than that, additional bonus podcasts will be available for our $10 tier that includes all of the other tiers benefits as well. You can find our Patreon link in our show notes or simply type in patreon.com slash amazing nerd show. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, starting off this week, we got an update for Superman Legacy. Collision reports this week that Pearl star David Cornsweet has been casted for the role of Superman, a.k.a. Clark Kent, in James Gunn's Superman Legacy. Across from him, of course, will be Lois Lane, as played by Rachel Bronahan from The Marvelous Miss Maisel. Unconfirmed, however, is other big roles in the film, like Lex Luthor, who The Hollywood Reporter this week claims a short list of actors has actually been compiled for the role already, and that auditions will be begin shortly. Apparently on Gunn's shortlist includes both Alexander Skarsgård from Infinity Pool and the Northmen, along with his brother Bill Skarsgård from John Wick 4 and It. Superman Legacy, though, will be coming to theaters July 11th, 2025. Cornsweet has a great look for the role of Superman. I mean, he even reminds me a little bit of a young Henry Cavill, so I could totally see why James Gunn went that direction that way. You know, I can't go for certain, you know, if he would be great as a superhero yet, since the only film I know him from is Pearl. But as far as Lex Luthor goes, um, and that short list being either Bill Skarsgård or Alexander Skarsgård, um, I think both of them will come at that role very differently. Um, I think I'm personally leaning on Alexander Skarsgård. I feel like I think Alexander Skarsgård just might have a little bit more of an edge when it comes to playing a character kind of cerebral like Lex Luthor where I imagine you know Bill Skarsgård might be a little bit more over the top but that's just based off of you know roles I've seen them both in. Either way, it seems that those rumors that we got earlier this month about them you know moving on to the casting of Lex Luthor and other villains may have actually been true now that we've seen that they are directly following that path. They casted, you know, Superman and Lois, now they're going to get the villain. So we'll see if like by next week, if we get another update about who's now playing Lex Luthor. But all right, speaking of updates, we also got one for the upcoming Spawn film. Jason Blum of Blumhouse Productions spoke with comicbook.com claiming that they have hope to get the new Spawn film out for audiences in 2025, with the writer's strike currently hindering the film's schedule. But at least we're hearing some stories outside of McFarlane this time around about the film being in production. We also got rumors of another big star returning for Deadpool 3. 
Industry insider Casey Walsh has been stirring up rumors of another potential cameo in the upcoming Deadpool 3, as according to their sources, Ben Affleck could be reprising his role as Daredevil, going as far to claim that he has been on set recently. This adds to the many rumored cameos of ex-Fox you know, era characters showing up for this film. So this should end up being a pretty wild multiverse story if true, though I'm not sure I needed this return in particular. Anyway, Deadpool 3 is set for May 3rd, 2020. All right, and lastly, we have some potential casting spoilers for um, the Marvels. So again, some heavy spoilers here for those who haven't watched Secret Invasion just yet, but we got a rumor this week claiming that Colby Smulders, who plays Maria Hill, will be appearing in the Marvel's film. Hollywood Reporter's sources claim that she will appear in the film despite you know, recent events in Secret Invasion, but this is comics and you know characters return from the dead all the time. It's just surprising to hear that such an impactful moment from this show could be reversed so quickly in the MCU, but perhaps it's a scroll appearing in the Marvel's film. We also mentioned this, you know, during our breakdown last week where we weren't sure exactly where the Marvel's film would take place. Things in that trailer make it seem like, you know, it would be taking place after the Secret Invasion you know, show. You know, for me, I, I, the way that Nick Fury talks about coming to Earth for the first time in Secret Invasion wouldn't add up to the Marvel's, you know, because he, he does come back to Earth for the Marvel's film as well to see, you know, Kamala Khan. At the same time, you could also theorize that it's a flashback sequence or, you know, anything else possible. Um, I, I would hope that they wouldn't go the, you know, bring back to life route for Maria Hill. As much as I love the character, I think that bringing her back this soon would be just a big disservice to that moment that we got in the show, which I feel will play a big role in, you know, Fury's character development in this series as well. So here's to hoping that they make the right call with this character's appearance in the Marvel's film. We'll find out. And now for the nerds breakdown of episode two of Marvel Secret Invasion. Spoilers ahead, you have been warned. The world is on the line. The enemy is a million times more dangerous than Hydra, but they can only be vanquished by you alone. And you want me to make the power mean something by helping a brother out. But you should know better than most. The reason we wrestled this power from mediocre men who don't look like us was not simply to turn around and hand it to mediocre men who do. The point of this power is to be uncompromising, to be unsparing, to be able to sit across from a man we greatly admire, with whom we share an entire professional, personal, ancestral history with, and to tell him without any reservation that he's fired. That's what this moment right here right now is about then. Episode two of Secret Invasion kicks off with a quick recap of the events of Captain Marvel back in 1995, where Nick Fury met Talos and the Scrolls. After which, we jump two years to 1997, where Fury meets a young Gravik. Apparently, Gravik escaped after his parents died during the last battle between the Kree and the Scrolls. In this same room, Talos begins speaking with the rest of the Scrolls there about how you know Fury is someone that they can trust. And Fury, after getting this high praise, gives the Scrolls a promise that if they help him and actually hide amongst humans as well, he and Carol will scour the universe for a new home for them. I really like this scene. Um, I thought it was really important just to kind of add some like connective tissue between Captain Marvel and you know this you know, series, just because mm -hmm. tone-wise they're both so different. Um, but this really added a lot of context to, you know, what they were talking about last episode, you know, with Fury's promise and everything and, you know, how many of the scrolls like Gravik, you know, 
probably feel extremely betrayed at this point, you know, 30 years later and they still don't have a home. We return to the chaos in Moscow that we left off with in episode one as Gravik and Gaia drive off together. Meanwhile, Talos, disguised as a Russian agent, throws Fury into a van to escape the scene, while another captured scroll, while still disguised of course, makes sure the police apprehending him hear that he is an American. We then cut to a train where Russian forces are looking for Fury. Talos is able to convince the guards um, that Fury isn't on the train with them, but of course we all know, you know, Fury is as he emerges from the bathroom and starts telling a story about what it was like for him as a kid to take a train with his mother across country. Man, just the writing in this scene alone is just like next level. Um, and I feel like this entire episode is so well written. Um, but like the dialogue here between Fury and Talos, like, it, you know, it, it once again, like they've done so much to really establish the relationship. Um, and add a lot of depth in such a short period of time. It is, it's pretty fucking impressive. Like, this is the most vulnerable we've seen Fury by far, you know, since his introduction as a character, you know, in the first Iron Man. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, like, I feel like we're finally getting to know Nick Fury, and I'm, I'm just loving it. No, I'm it. right there with you. I feel like in all the other Marvel films, it's been, like, brief, fun moments with his character, but I feel like Sam Jackson is at his best when he gets to have these kinds of long conversations in any project that he's in. So it's exciting to see, you know, how he's able to take this character, you know, further with this kind of dialogue. And I think it's so well written for his character and him as an actor. Well, if you think about it too, like he's been basically like a glorified plot device. You know, he's yes. getting all our characters, <laughs> you know, from point A to point B for the last, you know, what, 15 years at this point, uh, you know, I mean, so yeah, no, you're exactly right. Like the, finally, like he, it's taken him getting his own show for us to actually get to know Nick Fury, the man. I mean, we got a little bit of this like in Captain Marvel, but I feel like that was a younger Nick Fury where like we're finally getting to see like what makes like, you know, the super spy Nick Fury tick. Um, but I, like I said, I'm loving it. Fury brings up a game he would play with his mother called, you know, tell me something I don't know, which clearly inspired Fury's lie detecting abilities and how he actually learned how to read people. This conversation goes from childhood game to Fury interrogating Talos as he tries to figure out the missing pieces to the scroll story. What is uncovered is that while Fury was gone, Talos reached out to all the remaining scrolls in the galaxy to come to Earth. As Talos had, you know, hoped since Fury and Carol hadn't found them a home yet, that maybe the million display scrolls could learn to coexist with humans on Earth. Fury is, of course, outraged by this, but Talos didn't you know, know what to do after Fury left. But still, Fury can't accept this and has Talos get off the train as he tries to process just how large the situation is with a million scrolls on Earth. Yeah, and I love, like, Fury's response, like, right away. You know, the human race already, you know, doesn't get along with each other, like, you know, you think they're going to be able to get along, you know, with an alien race also yes, living on the I planet? Like, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, you could understand why Fury would be outraged, you know, by this. I mean, it is a million fucking scrolls. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, you can't blame Talos because, like, he's trying to save his people. You know, and you have Nick Fury, you know, out there floating in space, twiddling his thumbs. Like, what else was Talos supposed to do? I mean, honestly, it's a testament to Talos's loyalty to Fury that he hasn't, you know, gone Gravik at this point. 
30 years is a long time to be waiting when you feel like, you know, the, the fate of your people are on the line. And I'm sure Gravik will use, you know, that and use the fact that Talos has probably been angered by Fury to you know, try and manipulate him somehow. In London, Maria Hill's body is brought to an airport to return home as her mother receives her remains. Across the way, she spots Fury and tries to learn the truth of what happened to her daughter. Of course, Fury tries to give her the, you know, the sympathy answer, but Mrs. Hill isn't having it, so Fury explains how his enemies killed her to get to him. Mrs. Hill wants Fury to make sure, you know, for whatever reason her daughter actually died, that Fury makes sure it wasn't for nothing. Yeah, and as a fan of, you know, Maria Hill, I also, you know, concur. Like, I, <laughs> I hope her death actually means something in this series uh, in the long run, because uh, otherwise it would just be a huge waste. But I will mm -hmm. say I thought this was a good start. Um, you know, it at least added some weight to what happened last episode that hopefully it won't just be a means to an end. Um, and I don't know who the actress is who's playing um, Marie Hill's mom, but I thought she knocked it out of the park. Um, you could just feel her grief and her anger, you know, here. And you could just really, like, see it on Fury's face, like, just how torn up he is you know, over her loss. We then see the world's response to the terrorist attack through news channel clips, where we see several powerful figures make statements on how they're still investigating and aren't fully sure what happened during the Russian attack and if it was truly done by an American. So I don't know about you, but I was totally distracted by Shooter McGavin all of a sudden flashing on my screen. Um, and then later on, find out that he's a fucking scroll. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I... I love that, you know, they had, like, kind of that, like, Fox correspondence character, though. Like, uh -huh. all, as a and it just so happens to be Shooter. <laughs> um, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's awesome. So, yeah, but, like, in all seriousness, this is exactly, you know, how you would do it. Like, you know, if you were infiltrating the human race, you know, you would start with, you know, you know the media and this is just some deep state shit like right here so and really makes like the scene that we see later with the you know scroll council even more like chill guy and gravik make their way to a meeting in which gravik during the ride relishes in his success as you know he explains he didn't know if fury would actually be there or not but wanted him to be there just to see what kind of man he was today in which gravik says fury is basically vapors of who he used to be and that if gravik wanted to he could have killed him in that moment but wants to further torture him instead i don't know like you could tell by this back and forth that you know gravik doesn't trust Gaia at all. Like mm -hmm. he he's totally like onto her at this point. I did think the scene did a great job of really painting a picture of like how much Gravik hates Fury. I'm wondering if we'll get more flashbacks between Gravik and Fury um that, you know, perhaps adds to that fire, you know? Especially since we find out that like Gravik's already like a capable soldier at a very young age. I could see Fury like putting him to work right away. Um, you know, regardless of his age, even though like in that scene, he does feel a little reluctant, but like once, you know, he has like a testimony from, you know, another, you know, scroll that he obviously trusts, you know, I could see him being like, okay, you know, let, let me put you on a mission. Yeah. <laughs> He's not afraid of using people. 
You know, that's for sure. So, I mean, just ask Talos, right? Graphic and Gaia then reach a secret meeting of a scroll council, the same council that Talos was removed from. In this meeting, we find out that Gravik had been making his own moves here, as the rest of the council seemed to be appalled by his attack. Or at least most of it seems to be, as the Prime Minister of England was also in cahoots with Gravik here. The two of them imposed their will on the group to make Gravik their new one true leader in this time of war. And while one scroll chooses against submitting to Gravik, the others decide to back him. So I don't remember the actor's name, but whoever's playing Gravik is pretty fucking amazing. Um, you could just tell, like, by the way he carries himself and by how the council reacts to him, you know, just how terrifying they are of him. Um, you know, and I mean, I'm sure part of it, they actually agree with him to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. um, but they all, like, fall in line so quickly. Um, you know, for the most part. Weirdly enough, Gravik does let that councilwoman leave without any harm. And the moment she does actually get outside the building, which like, I mean, literally right outside the front door, she makes a phone call to Talos to inform him what's happened. Of course, Talos is angered by the news of Gravik's ascension here, but tells the council member to actually set up a meeting between him and Gravik. I'm sure this was on purpose, like they're following her or something like that. Yeah, they're they don't have to her follow up. her when she's right outside the yeah. door. <laughs> that, that is true. I mean, you would think, you know, for a race of people where, like, you know, their ability is to disguise themselves, that she would be better at, like, uh -huh. sneaking around a little, like. But there's literally two security guards right there. Yes, and I don't know if this is just like due to like time constraints. Um, you know, for the writers where there's like, okay, we need to get this scene over with like right away instead of like coming back to her, you know, a day later and having her contact Talos, mm -hmm. you know, we just want to, you know, kill two birds with one stone. Um, <laughs> but it did stick out like a sore thumb to be that like, yeah, she just literally left the building and she's contacting <laughs> Talos. I'm sure graphics, you know, obviously, you know, you know, having her tailed. Um, but it did catch my attention right I'm just away. saying, at least turn the corner. That's yeah. all. <laughs> Gravik and Gaia make their way back to home base, where their fellow scrolls applaud the success of their leader. Again, we see Gravik whisper to one of his right-hand men, and Gaia decides to actually follow him through the facility to know what's going on behind her back. What she discovers is a lab nearby with a strange machine that looks pretty similar to Doc Ock's solar energy rig from Spider-Man 2. Inside the lab, Gravik's right-hand man is seen talking with a Dr. Dalton who's disappointed he doesn't have the DNA she requires. Gravik apparently has been supplying her with different samples for some type of experiment she's doing. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this last episode. Um, we're definitely getting super scrolls here, right? Um, you know, but they oh, kind of yeah. give that away in the trailer when you see, mm -hmm. uh, you know, one of the scrolls arms like stretch out. I mean, I I'm more surprised that they don't already have this technology, um, that this is, you know, something that Gravik is kind of developing, you know, on his own with the help of Dalton. I was almost expecting like this would be a big reveal that, you know, the scrolls have been kind of keeping this secret the entire time from Fury. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, this works also. And I'm assuming this is what he meant by like, I have a plan for the Avengers. Yes, if they ever do show absolutely. Up. Absolutely. We then cut to an emergency council summons for the United States as NATO leaders want answers for what happened in Moscow and why Nick Fury was there at all. Rhodey, who came in the president's stead, denies the U.S.'s involvement along with Russian intelligence's, you know, images of Fury, all of course to the displeasure of Slovakia. 
After the meeting, Rhodey gets a call from the man of the hour, Nick Fury, and sets up a meeting nearby at a local restaurant. There, Nick Fury tries to bring Rhodey up to speed on what's going on with the scrolls, but it's clear to Fury that Rhodey actually seems to already know about their existence. The US government isn't you know, too pleased with Fury's actions of late, as it almost prompted a world war. So while Fury was hoping to get help from Rhodey, it turns out Rhodey volunteered to come out here and break the news that Fury is actually fired. That's some cold shit. Like, <laughs> it's like, I want to fire you scene, my, myself. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh no, it's an amazing scene. Like I want a whole fucking episode with these two, you know, or a whole fucking series. They're fantastic uh, together. Yeah, I mean, Don Cheadle's been killing it in these, like, guest starring roles, you know, on the MCU series, because <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was also amazing in uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And it actually gets me more excited for uh, the Armor Wars uh, series. Oh, wait a second. It's not a series, though, right? It's it, They turned it into a movie, oh, right? is it going to be a movie? Yeah, now? I think so. I think they turned it into a movie. So I would rather be a series, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, more Don Cheadle, the better, right? Um, but yeah, no, this was an amazing scene watching these two go back and forth and everything. Um, just, you know, both like, you know, being blunt as fuck and like calling each other out. Um, I will say, and I could be wrong. I no longer believe though, that Rhodey's a scroll. Um, just because like they're back and forth and everything like, you know, and just like the vitriol that like Rhodey has in talking to Fury, it just sounds like some deep rooted shit going on <laughs> between these two. Um, so, and I don't feel like a scroll would necessarily go to those lengths to deceive, you know, Fury. I mean, I guess it just depends on how advanced the memory and printing technology that, you know, the scrolls have, you know, really is. So, um, but yeah, no, this this sounded more personal um, than I would think that a scroll would be able to pull off. But I don't know, man. The, the moment Nick Fury brought up like, oh, you know what a scroll is. I, it just felt like kind of like they're planting the seed even you know, more there. Like, hey, no, you know, I, this could potentially be a scroll. No, I know what you mean. I just feel like it's probably a red herring because if Fury at that moment was caught off guard by Rhodes knowing about scrolls, and he suspected that Rhodes was actually a scroll. Would he even have this back and forth? With? Well, he might not suspect that he's a scroll, but I suspect that he's a scroll. But you're talking about Fury's reaction to Rhodes knowing about. The I just scroll. mean like the entire like moment in general, mm -hmm. like the fact that you know it was brought up in the script. I felt like it was the show's way of like, trying to plant the seed. Gotcha, you know? gotcha. Oh yeah, I definitely feel like they're planting seeds. I even think that first scene that we you know are introduced to Rhodes and the President uh -huh. was meant to be kind of a red. <laughs> herring just the way that they were kind of interacting with each other um but i think we're getting we're probably going to get a lot of that you know throughout this series mm -hmm. i also loved how fury finally showed like what a badass he still really is because he's been kind of playing up the whole old man routine i feel like but i think it's just him playing possum honestly because <laughs> here like he gets pissed off enough and like that agent puts his hands on him and he's like nope not having that that's not uh -huh. happening today like broke his arm immediately or a finger or something. Somewhere else in Russia, we meet back up with Sonya, who has discovered the location of the scroll who was captured by the police. We enter a butcher shop um, where Russian intelligence is doing their best to terrify and torture information out of the scroll disguised as an American. Sonya, though, pulls out some jurisdiction over the scene and gets them all to leave after asking where the emergency escape hatch is in the cooler. Before we see Sonya in action here, we cut back to Gaia, who uses a computer at their base to search through their plans for what the doctor 
doctor may actually be working on. It seems Dr. Dalton has collected samples of DNA from Groot, a frost beast, um, Call Obsidian from the Black Order, and extremists from Iron Man 3's Aldrich Killian. It's definitely an interesting cocktail of super DNA. Um, you know, I wasn't surprised by Groot because, like, once again, we see a scroll with stretchy power. Mm. Actually, very similar to what we've seen Groot, you know, do before. But yeah, like a frost beast, which I'm not even sure, you know, what the fuck that is. Uh, <laughs> I assume it's related to like a frost giant. Um, and then like one of the Black Order and the, the extremist pro, like it's a lot of fucking power you're messing with. I'm more curious how they even got their hands on any of that. But I mean, they must have, you know, people in high places, I guess. Well, and there's a million of them. Yeah. So. <laughs> Speaking of which, what do you think of Fury's reasoning for not getting the Avengers like involved. Uh, you know, it, it, you know, he mentions it during the whole scene with Rhodey. You know, he says like, yeah, we get the Avengers involved, but then we, you know, all of a sudden get like, you know, scrolls impersonating Avengers. I thought that rationale was a little weak, you know, because like if there's so many of them at this point, who's to say that they're not already impersonating Avengers? You know? Well, yeah. <laughs> so like, why wouldn't you want your most powerful, like, allies, you know, helping you out in this situation? Um, like, I get it. You know, the real, you know, answer is the budget. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, for me, and I was just praising it, you know, a few minutes ago, but I thought the writing here was a little weak. At least the reasoning. Uh, is Rhodey not technically an Avenger? No, 100%. He's absolutely an Avenger. Um, okay. Obviously, he has a dual role, so, you know, Fury has to deal with him. All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional basis every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. 
And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com slash nerdshow and check it out. And now back to our breakdown. Gaia, however, is nearly caught doing this research as Gravit comes in and questions what she's doing. Gaia, you know, makes up some BS about the, their new recruit and talks about how he's loyal to the cause. Gravik seems to hang on to the word loyal here as he recalls what, you know, he thought of Gaia the when he first met her. He really thought that there was a chance Gaia was sent by Talos to do what Talos couldn't. But quickly ending the conversation, Gravik claims they found Brogan and set off to find the scroll that's being currently tortured. Yeah, at this point, he's just using her, right? Oh yeah, I mean the way that he like brought up, pretty much brought up the fact that he killed her mom and then quickly changes right. the conversation, you know, it was it was very deliberate. I'm just assuming at this point, you know, he just sees her as a way to manipulate Talos as a way for him to get what he wants from him in the long run. This is when we return to Sonya who has a vial of something that apparently will make a scroll's blood boil. While Brogan the Scroll tries to keep his cool, it takes only a few moments after the effects begin for him to start spilling what he knows about Gravik's plan. Brogan divulges that Gravik is making a machine that could potentially make scrolls stronger, and that it's being done by a Dr. Dalton. Quickly, how terrifying is Sonya, right? <laughs> this is definitely not her first rodeo. She's She's absolutely tortured uh, a lot of people before. Gravik's crew then arrives and begins shooting up where Brogan is being held. Meanwhile, Gaia and the new recruit hang back in their car outside, and Gaia claims that she's gonna go check the back, but she secretly sneaks off to make a phone call. Sonya then ducks out through the escape hatch while Gravik brutally slaughters the Russian agents in the butcher shop before rescuing Brogan. Gravik and crew make their escape and head to their safe house in the city, but when they arrive there, they find police have already started swarming the building. So Gravik has Gaia, you know, keep driving. In the woods, while Brogan claimed, you know, earlier he didn't give Sonya any real info, Gravik still has his right hand take Brogan out and shoot him as someone had to have snitched for their safe house to be compromised. This almost felt like a way to punish Gaia. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, he keeps glancing at her too during the yeah, entire scene. Yeah, this is scene. just his way of like putting blood on her hands. Um, but at the same time, like as soon as they rescue Brogan in the um, butcher shop, you knew that he wasn't long for this world. <laughs> oh yeah, I was surprised I didn't shoot him right there. Before our episode closes, um, we return to Fury who retrieves his old Land Rover from a garage and there he makes his way home where we see that a scroll is in his kitchen cooking. And before she allows him to get any closer to her, she has Fury put on his wedding ring as apparently they married in the past. Now, at first I was a little thrown off by this because, you know, we see her as a scroll, but then she, you know, changes into a human form before Fury gets home. But this is definitely the same scroll that we see in the flashback that, you know, introduces Fury to Gravik, right? Yes. Because, yeah, at first I was like, does 
Fury know that his wife is a scroll? <laughs> but once I put it together, I was like, oh, okay. Obviously, you know, they've been together for quite a while. But yeah, this is a huge reveal. Like, this is really the first time we're getting, like, a look at, like, Fury's personal life. But I'm also wondering if this is going to lead to another reveal. Um, you know, because I was saying last episode, I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing that we're going to find out exactly what caused, you know, Fury to leave the planet after the blip. Now, knowing that he has a wife who just happens to be a scroll, I could see that all kind of like tying together. So like, is there a chance? I, I don't know if it's possible, but is there a chance that he had a kid with her and it got dusted? And Maybe, you know. Um, who knows? But I gotta say, like, I thought this was a great episode. Um, you know, the first episode was fine, uh, but this episode really hooked me. And I'm really, like, looking forward to see what, like, happens next now. Yeah, I this was definitely more of the, like, tone and structure I was expecting out of the show than what we got in the first episode. Of course, the first episode was still good, but I just thought this was just a lot better. No, I agree. I mean, there was a lot of, like, exposition. I mean, they handled it well. Uh, but they, you mm -hmm. could tell that they're really trying to, like, set the table for the entire series. Whereas, like, now with the second episode, we're finally getting to, like, the minutiae of it all. But anyway, make sure to join us next week as we break down episode three of Secret Invasion. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped. This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below the waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products. The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20NERDSHO for 20% off plus free shipping. Listeners know that there's no one I trust more with my nutsack than Manscaped. So why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric beard hedger. The beard hedger is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time, just like your mother. <laughs> this waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly groomed, right? Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manhole. Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below the waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners, get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow. Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. 
So for me, things have slowed down a little bit in the world of gaming, but there were still a couple of things that caught my eye this week. Of course, I've been, you know, following along closely with all the Starfield updates. You know, modders rejoice as Todd Howard this week talked about how Starfield will be a modder's paradise as they plan to keep this title as open to modders as previous franchises. Um, I've been talking about this for quite a while now about how much potential the modding scene could be for Starfield. I mean, it's astronomical in the fact that modders will have the you know whole planets to fill with their own content if they want. I mean, it's been said only about 10% of planets will be teeming with like actual wildlife and you know modders will be able to fill the void if necessary. The hype for this title has been going through the roof lately to the point other games seem to be trying to now get out of its way really. Um, Boulders Gate 3 developers decided to move up their release to hopefully give players a little bit more time with their game before everyone jumps over to Starfield. I mean they literally said that in an interview this week. Um, Boulders Gate 3 will be releasing August 3rd of this year now. Which is definitely a game that I've been keeping my eye on. Um, I've been playing the uh, alpha or whatever demo that they put out and I think it's a really cool experience and I definitely think if you're into fantasy games you should check out Boulders Gate 3 when you get a chance. It's definitely a new experience compared to their last you know two games. Not to say that those were bad but this is definitely on another level in my eyes. But besides that and outside of you know anything Starfield, Annapurna had a showcase this week that brought eyes to a couple new projects here and there, but one that really grabbed my attention was a Blade Runner game. Now there was no gameplay per se, but what was shown off for Blade Runner 2033 was still filled with you know the film's signature style. And knowing what Annapurna is capable of, I think this franchise is in the right hands as far as games go. Um, no release date just yet, but it's getting added to my wish list for sure. The game will be apparently taking place during during the events of the blackout that was mentioned in 2049. It seems that the focus of the story is what does a Blade Runner do when there's no replicants left to hunt. And with a title like Labyrinth, I have to imagine, you know, this Blade Runner character that we'll be playing as will be trapped in some type of, you know, either web of lies or a maze of some sort. But I do think it's a cool concept to, you know, put Blade Runner in a blackout period, especially seeing how, you know, reliance they are on technology and the replicants as a whole. So I'll be excited to learn a little bit more about this game once more information comes out. But um, speaking of things on my wish list, uh, the release of AEW Fight Forever is here and I'll be getting my hands on it this weekend on stream. So stop by the Amazing Nerd Show live on Twitch this weekend where we're going to be finishing the final boss for Jedi Survivor and having a slobber knocker of a time during while playing AEW's Fight Forever. But alright, with that said, let's go ahead and move on to some actual wrestling. There is an evil look in Will Ospreay's eyes. I didn't God. lose today because of you, Don. That's not what this is about. I lost because Will Ospreay was the better man. We've seen two of the all-time greats celebrate this moment. It's not over. I'll be back. Kenny, every time you want to settle this, we're not a good spot. Alright Christian, so once again, we don't have much time to talk wrestling this week. Uh, we're actually recording this episode a lot earlier than we usually do. Uh, and at this point, neither of us have seen AEW Dynamite. Um, you know, I know basically what has happened. 
uh, but I have not actually got to watch the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I did get to watch uh, this past weekend's uh, Collision, second Collision episode, and also The Forbidden Door. I don't know about you, Christian. Did you get to check out uh, Collision at all? I wasn't able to watch Collision just because Forbidden Door was four hours. Oh, <laughs> I gotcha. knew I wasn't going to be able to fit in both this week. I will say I'm really enjoying the show. Um, once again, it's kind of like a, you know, a breath of fresh air, comparatively speaking to like dynamite, um, just really well paced. Things are allowed to breathe. Um, you know, I mean, just basically elements that we don't get on dynamite. I mean, dynamite is so jam packed, um, where like you're basically not allowed to register anything that's happening on the screen at times. (laughs) And I guess that's not really fair. It's more of a recent issue with just like how many irons like AW has in the fire right now with all their like huge upcoming events and everything, you know, and mm. starting a new show. It, it just it feels like everything's a blur, though, like week after week sometimes um, just because there's so much going on. Um, but Collision is very much like isolated, um, you know, not that it's you know, existing in its own universe or anything like that. Like there's still connective tissue there. Um, but since it does, you know, have kind of its own little roster going on, um, it does feel like it can kind of function on its own and it doesn't get bogged down by like, you know, having to deal with every storyline that the company has going on currently. I mean, do you think that's, the case because there's you know other people helping write the show or no i think it's more of a case of like them establishing collision um and you know you know we joked about it before but it does feel like you know the roster on collision is basically made up of like you know the problem kids right (laughs) the kids who sit at the back of the bus um Uh so like we're not gonna have those storylines carry out on dynamite um, and even though I don't like the idea of a roster split, you know, or brand split, if you will, but at the same time, I feel like collision is like reaping the benefits of that. Now I will say like, it does still feel like this CM Punk and friends like show, um, you know, and I think that's because the, you know, the first two episodes have been very focused on punk and like FTR. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm hoping that they get away from that um and i think that's probably easily done you know if you just feature more people in the main events um which i'm sure will happen eventually especially when you have you know a roster that has like andrade and you know miro part of it and i'm hoping that we do see more crossover from dynamite i know this week mjf is supposed to be actually wrestling on the show they haven't said they haven't said like who's his opponent is yet but um, he's supposed to be featured on the show this week. The one thing I do want to quickly mention is I love the Saturday Night's uh, main event opening that they did this past week. They had Punk and FTR um, and the Bullet Club Gold actually cut like backstage promos before the intro even rolled, uh, which is very much like an 80s Saturday Night's main event staple. Okay, um, It was pretty awesome. 
So um, I want more shit like that because it does like give the show a different feel compared to Dynamite. And I will say overall, I feel like they've done a great job with that, just with like the production and the lighting and everything like that. So it does feel like its own thing where Rampage, like from day one, just felt like an extension of Dynamite. But anyway, I did want to just quickly kind of talk like highlights um of forbidden door we're not going to do like a match for match review since you know at this point when this episode drops it'll be like a week later um but uh what was your favorite match of the night i mean i feel like it's easy for me to say that it was will osprey versus omega just because of how epic that last third of the match was in general the fact that they just kept fucking getting back up was insane if you would have said any other match (laughs) i would have called you a fucking liar (laughs) and that's like no big surprise like after what they did at the tokyo dome and everything uh which i think overall i probably prefer that match uh to this one and I think the only reason that is because this is definitely, I don't know, like I enjoyed like how vicious this match was, but the only thing that kind of got in the way from it meeting that high bar that they already established was the uh, interference from Callus, and not like the interference from Callus, but like how they handled the interference from Callus. Like it just drove me nuts that the fucking ref like threw him out of the match and then allowed him to return later on yeah. and just let him interfere a whole lot more, like, right in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, they tried to explain it away by saying, oh, he'll get fined for this. But I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's something that we recently complained about with WWE during uh, one of the Bloodline matches. I think they threw out uh, Solo, and then he just, like, came back, you know, and still interfered. Yeah later on and there was no repercussions whatsoever i think the only difference was like he at least like put on like a black hoodie (laughs) that was it (laughs) um where this was just blatant like i was like what the Mm -hmm. fuck is going on here like why even have that first bit with callus you know getting thrown out and it's not like they didn't have an answer to it like callus's goons are still out there standing there like they could have done all the interference parts from there on i understand they're probably getting more booze from callus being there but yeah no you're right because you could have just had one of the like the, the one of the goons you know hand kenny the screwdriver right at the end of the day exactly so yeah. i don't know i don't know for me like it annoyed me enough where it took away a little from the match um, at the end of the night so um but still at least like the second best match i've seen all year so i mean it, it was still fucking amazing <laughs> especially since like my favorite match of the year is from fucking osprey and omega right <laughs> like is there a chance like my top three matches this year is just gonna be osprey <laughs> omega osprey and omega I think I won't let you do I, that. It might happen, though. Like, it is what it is. Like, maybe we'll just all lump it all together. Like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll the cheat. The Osprey we'll Omega, like, trilogy, yes, right? The saga. <laughs> yeah, and even though, like, I was fine with it at the time, you know, when they announced um, Okada and Brian were going to be the main event, like, after Osprey and Omega went on, though, like, <laughs> I was like, that was a big fucking mistake. Because there was no way anything was going to possibly live up to this fucking match. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and unfortunately, I felt like, you know, the Brian Okada match suffered because of that, though. 
Um, because it was it was a damn good match. Don't get me wrong. But like, I feel like the crowd was completely drained at that point, because what are you going to do to possibly like match what Osprey and, you know, Omega, you know, did in the ring just a few matches earlier? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just an impossible task, even with two like fantastic talents like Okada and Brian, who are two of the best in the world. There's really not much they could do to really match what Okada, you know, Osprey were able to do. Did you see the um, the X-ray though Brian had after? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, one, like you have to give him a lot of credit. I mean, mm-hmm. that happened ten minutes before the end of the match, so they had to alter the match quite a bit. So it's kind of a situation of like what could have been. Um, who knows? Maybe we be singing a completely different tune you know if he didn't break his fucking forearm um i doubt it but i mean anything's possible uh, and it, it all came from like a simple elbow drop um i think brian said that his arm was just placed in the wrong position and you know it ended up snapping his forearm so Jesus. um i think at first they were saying eight to ten weeks um but now his wife's tweet or, you know, Instagram post, I don't know what the fuck it was, but uh, kind of alludes to the fact that it's a lot worse than they expected. Um, but a few people have come out and said that, you know, they've had similar injuries and they were able to get back in the ring, you know, in like eight to ten weeks. So if he needs extra time, no. let him have well, yeah. extra time. <laughs> I'm selfish, Christian. It's not a head injury. He'll be fine. Just wrap it up. Come on. Rub some dirt on it. He'll be fine. He's a mother nature guy. Come on. Some roots. Not to get back to uh, Omega and Osprey, but that the fucking Omega's head hitting the mat. Oh, the tiger the driver. Yeah. Yeah. The Jesus fucking That's, Christ, You know, man. honestly, like that also took me out of the fucking match. Like, I get it. But the match didn't need that. I mean, you don't need to almost kill yourself to get this match over with the crowd, especially at that point in the match. So I don't, it just mm-hmm. was so unnecessary, you know? So like right away, like I was completely like terrified, but he was like seriously injured. So I don't know, man, like it just didn't need that shit. So while I understand why it was there, I just wish they wouldn't have done it. He, I mean, he's best friends with Kota Ibushi. I yes, expect all the headshots. Who's been incredibly injured recently, like, yes. you know, the past couple of years. So, and I mean, Kenny's coming off of, like, being out uh-huh. for a fucking year himself. So what are, you, what are you doing? I immediately joked, oh, Kenny Omega's taking it easier now yeah. after, <laughs> after just all that. Just insane. Just insane. It's so unnecessary. <sighs> so that, because honestly, the, the match did not need that moment. I say I also really enjoyed Punk and Kojima um, a lot more than I thought I was going to. Um, a lot of that had to do with like the crowd reaction and how much like Punk just fucking ate that shit up. <laughs> he plays such a great like snarky like villain. Um, mm-hmm. You could tell that he was just having like the best time ever out there. Um, I can't wait for like the heel turn to finally happen with Punk because like even with his matches on collision, like he's not wrestling as a baby face whatsoever. Um, you know, he, he's definitely leaning into like his heel persona more and more. Um, so I'm sure it's only a matter of time before we see him just go completely full heel. Um, 
Canada's absolutely not a fan of Puck because <laughs> he got you know pretty much the same reaction on Collision. So and that was with him tagging with Ricky Starks and FTR. Um, they were booing him out the building. So um, yeah, but great shit. Like and you even with like Punk playing the heel, like he still did the right thing by paying his respect to kojima and you could tell like how much it really meant to him you know at the end of the match like being in the Mm. ring with him so also another big highlight for me was the elite you know along with kingston going up against bcc and uh takeshita um i almost felt like they were kind of holding back (laughs) i feel like if they had like another like 10 to 15 minutes they probably would have stolen the show um just the two factions work so well together at this point um they have just an amazing dynamic um and like kingston like he needs to be like in the main event picture he is so fucking over with you know the AEW audience like it is a crime Mm -hmm. that he hasn't really had like a big like title program at least at this point you know like has he even sniffed gold I think he, I feel like he's had a title match, but I know I think I mean, I know 100%. he's had like a TNT title match, but I don't know about like the world title. Like he's gone up against like, you know, main eventers in the past. You know, mm-hmm. he had a, a short feud with Punk. Um, I know he's faced off against Moxley before, obviously, and Cody, but I don't know about like him actually getting a real title shot. Um, but I want, I want Tony to strap him up eventually, like, even if it's just for a short period of time. And I don't know, like with the reaction that he's getting and the fact that like his role over the last like six months to a year has kind of been like diminished makes me feel like he must be in the doghouse or something. (laughs) And we know he's had issues, you know, backstage, but like it just feels like promotional like malpractice that like he's not being featured every week Mm -hmm. um and hopefully that's changing now that he's back from injury and everything but like you remember they had him quit AEW and you know head off to roh um and this is kind of like carryover from that feud with claudio um but yeah no i i i love this match um and i guess on dynamite uh tonight they actually announced uh blood and guts it's gonna be taking place in boston uh on the july 19th uh dynamite so um so i'm guessing you know brian won't probably be able to make that show since he's injured um Mm -hmm. so that puts uh combat club down a man so i mean i guess you could have Takeshita, you know fill in that puts them at four Four, right yeah. and then you've got the elite which is four so i mean maybe you just go four on four um because otherwise you'd have to have uh the bcc find someone else you know we all kind of assume that you know kenny would be bringing in a, a bushi but you know maybe they don't go that route if that's the case i don't have to but i mean i could they'll They'll fill the gap, I feel like, with someone for BCC. I just don't know who it would be. I don't know. Like, I, I almost don't want point. them to, though, if it's, like, too shoehorned, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. 
but yeah, before we move on, I thought Forbidden Door, you know, lived up to the hype, you know, overall. I know some people were down on it just because I guess the Brian Okada match didn't like meet their expectations. But like, I don't know, like once again, like once I heard that Brian's arm was fucking broken, like with 10 minutes left in the mm-hmm. match, it is what it is. Shit happens. Like it was still a damn good match. So I don't know what people fucking wanted them to do. <laughs> It's just so hard to fucking, you know, follow Kenny and Osprey. So, but you go up and down the card. I mean, there really wasn't a bad match. Like even, you know, uh, Sting and Jericho. Like, yeah, it was kind of a clusterfuck. Um, but would I call it a bad match? Eh. You know, it was still entertaining. <laughs> The only one I was like bored during was like Tanahashi versus MJF. There wasn't all that much for me there. I was fine with it. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I could understand, you know, why someone would feel that way. But I don't know. Like, I was enjoying MJF's antics. So I was fine with it. Uh, Tanahashi, though. Like, I don't know, like, if he's really this broken down at this point or if he's working some kind of angle for the G1. Because, like, like watching this match, I was like, this guy can barely fucking move. How is he going to possibly do the G1? Um, you know, and it was kind of the same thing with his match the night before against uh, Swerve. I was like, man, he's not moving well whatsoever. So the fact that he's in the G1 almost makes me believe he is working. Because <laughs> there's no way this guy's going to survive a G1. How was his match with uh, Swerve? It was okay. You know, like you could tell like Swerve was kind of carrying him at points. There was like one point where he actually like slipped off the ropes and you could see Swerve really like try to help him like recover, um, you know, and kind of cover it up. So, um, but yeah, no, he's definitely, you know, not moving well whatsoever right now. But like I said, we we haven't seen Dynamite, so it's hard to really comment on We've seen some of the news that has been coming out of the show, but that's pretty much it. So um, there's like one clip of Jericho and Sting like sword fighting with their baseball bats, which, you know, doesn't get me very excited, <laughs> you know, for their, for that main event. Uh, but I guess Sting busted up his mouth pretty fucking bad, uh, you know, doing another insane dive off an incredibly high ladder. Um, that whole match does feel like a makeup match for the pay-per-view though. Like, the way they kind of rushed it and everything. Like, they had Jericho uh, confront Sting during the press conference after Forbidden Door and challenging him, like, to this match. Um, It just, I don't know. It it just felt very, like, rushed and, like, kind of, like, last minute. (laughs) So I I, I could see where, like, Jericho and Sting wouldn't necessarily be happy, you know, with, you know, their performances at the pay-per-view. But I guess we'll just have to wait and see if if they were able to rebound. You know, um, you know, from the pay-per-view, I'm just not feeling the whole like sting Jericho thing. Uh huh. You know, it feels like they want it to be a much bigger deal than it really is. I mean, since sting has like joined the company, there hasn't been like a single time that I've like fantasy booked like Jericho or sting. <laughs> so I don't know. Well, they gave it to you anyway. All right. Sure. 
for free. I just don't want. I just don't <laughs> want much more. <laughs> well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, and while you're there, leave a five star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by theamazingnerdshow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some Nerd Show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional Nerd Show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. So I take the tank, fly it right up to the general's palace, drop it at his feet. I'm like, boom, you looking for this?